let us pray. Come, Lord Jesus, and complete the work you've begun in us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. About two weeks before the fall finals of my senior year in college, my friends and I decided that we were going to make some Christmas gifts for our mothers. Now, these weren't just any gift. We were going to learn how to knit in order to make our mom's scarves. So instead of working on final papers or preparing for exams or doing any of the sort of responsible things we should have been doing, we sat in the campus coffee shop and chatted while knitting. There was just one problem for me in this. No one helped me while I was choosing my knitting needles. And while my friends quickly finished their loose knitted scarves with those nice, large, round needles that they had, I struggled to finish my ha half of my tightly knitted scarf before I had to really get back to being a responsible student. And though I have saved that, the beginnings of that scarf for some years, I never did finish it. Sorry, Mom. It's about this time of year every year that I remember that scarf, and not simply because it's a not yet completed Christmas gift almost 20 years in the making, but because Advent is a time where we remember that we are still waiting a completion of sorts. Advent is the season of watching and waiting, preparing for and anticipating the second coming of Christ. As we move toward Christmas, we remember God's people waiting through the ages for their Messiah, the one who would save them, rescue them, and redeem them until the coming of Jesus. And during Advent, we are reminded again and again that we join the church throughout the, the ages, looking toward and longing for the day when Christ will come again. Advent is our regular reminder that we are looking toward and watching for the completion of God's coming reign when Christ returns and all creation and all things reach their telos, their fulfillment, their full potential, their completion. Paul, in his letter to the church at Philippi, also looks to the day of the Lord, the day when the future that God will bring in Christ breaks fully and finally in with Jesus' return. Paul writes to the saints, the holy ones, that's to say, all those people who've joined him in following Jesus, and he anticipates the coming day of the Lord and encourages them to live in light of that day. As with all the epistles or letters in the Bible, when we read this letter to the Philippians, we're kind of reading someone else's mail. So in order to better understand this letter, it's helpful to know a bit of the backstory. The church in Philippi is a special church because it's the first church Paul started in Europe. You may know that the gospel spread a long way and for a long time before it ever arrived in Europe. 
Acts 16 tells us the story about how Paul was with Silas in Troas when he had a vision of a man from Macedonia, a Roman territory, and that man came and asked him to come and help them, to come and share the good news of Jesus there. Paul took this as a sign of the Spirit, and he and Silas set out across the Aegean Sea, eventually arriving in Philippi. There, they shared the message of Jesus with a group of women who became the first converts and the beginning of the Philippian church. While they were there, they also stirred up a little holy mischief, if you will. They cast out an evil spirit from a young girl, which really angered the men who owned her because it meant that she was no longer going to make them any money by giving people their fortunes. So they had Paul and Silas beaten up and thrown into prison. Perhaps you know the story of what happened while they were in jail in Philippi. The beat up and battered Paul and Silas were praying and singing praises to God when around midnight, an earthquake shook the foundations of the prison and it broke open the chains of all the prisoners and opened the gates of the prison doors. Instead of fleeing, Paul, Silas, and all the prisoners stayed. They spared the guard's life, and they shared with him and his household the good news of Jesus. And that very night, all of them were baptized into the faith of Christ. Ultimately, later, Paul and Silas ended up being released from jail to go on their way, spreading the news of Jesus. So by the time of this writing, Some time has passed, and Paul, as he happens to do, ends up in prison again. This time, he was most likely in Rome, waiting to be tried for spreading the message of a king and a lord that is greater and more powerful than Caesar or any other king. Charges of this kind could lead to lengthy lockup, beating, or even to death, so it was quite serious. Hearing about Paul's imprisonment, The Philippian church sent aid to Paul and provided spiritual and material support for him. And it's in an abundance of gratitude for this gift that he wrote this letter of thanksgiving and encouragement to the Christians at Philippi. Paul wrote to the Philippians remembering the exciting beginnings of the church and the powerful work that God had done. And the whole letter drips with joy and gratitude from the beginning. Shockingly, the imprisoned Paul is filled with joy and gratitude while he's bound in chains. Why in the world is Paul so full of joy and gratitude? What about this situation could possibly inspire joy? Clearly, God's work was unfinished. Paul was in chains facing death. He was still waiting on the coming day of the Lord, that day when the Lord would triumph, when the Lord would turn everything right side up, when the Lord would make all things new, when love would win and justice would prevail. In the midst of this incompletion and waiting, Paul wrote this joy-saturated letter calling the Philippian church to persist in being imitators of and participants in the life of Christ. In the earliest part of this letter, he shares the secret 
to his joy. You see, the joy producing good news for Paul and the good news of Advent for us today is not simply that God isn't done working on us yet, as good as that might be to hear. But the good news is the assurance, the persuasion, the confidence we can have that God who began a good work, the good work of drawing people fully into the life of Jesus will bring that work to completion. God's faithfulness in completing what God has started is the foundation of Paul's joy and gratitude. The good news that Paul proclaims and the good news that Advent persistently declares is that though God is not finished, the one who began a good work among us all will be faithful to complete it. Paul has confidence in this because Paul has confidence in Christ. And you know, we can have that confidence too. Paul knew God was not done with the church in Philippi because Paul was persuaded and convinced that God would finish that work that God had started. God doesn't give up on people like I gave up on that scarf. God has no abandoned people projects. I'm confident of this, Paul writes, that the one who began a good work among y'all, yeah, that's right, Paul's from the South, will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. Paul is confident in completion. The overflow of this confidence in completion for Paul is joy. Amid all the things that demonstrated that God was not finished yet, that, that is, in the midst of trial and hardship of all kinds, Paul experiences joy. Life that is lived during the not yet fully complete time, during the we're still a work in progress time, during the we aren't what we used to be, but we aren't yet what we ought to be time, during the God still working on me to make me what I ought to be time, during the time that is still filled with the bumps and bruises, trials and hardships of life. Life lived during this time is a life ready to overflow with joy. Paul demonstrates that in life with Jesus, abundant joy flows amidst the fragments and the loose ends and the hardships and all the things that demonstrate that God must not yet be done with us. Instead of these things pressing him to despair, they move him deeper into participation in the life of Jesus and deeper into joy. What if that's how we responded to trial and hardship? What if that's how we responded when we saw those loose ends of our lives, when we experienced those things that remind us we're not fully who God wants us to be as individuals or as a community? Instead of despairing, 
Instead of fighting, instead of withdrawing, instead of turning in on ourselves, instead of making excuses or whatever our typical responses may be, what if instead we moved deeper into the life and joy of Jesus? One of the things we learn from Paul is that our life situation does not have to be a deterrent to joy. Joy isn't the same as happiness, as you know. Joy is something given, an overflow of life in Christ, a fruit of the Spirit grown in us. Happiness is something pursued and is dependent on the happenstances of life. Joy is not attached to happenstance, but rather it's attached to the work of the Lord of life. Joy isn't just about looking on the bright side of life. Rather, joy is the fruit of confidence in the one who started the work and in the one who is faithful in completing that very thing. Joy is the outflow of being convinced of the faithfulness of God to so dramatically set everything right that the reverberations of that future event already impact our present today. Joy comes in the assurance of God completing the good work, in the persuasion that a new day is on its way, in the being convinced that in spite of what is happening around you, God is at work finishing the good work in you. But how do we live this joy? I want to briefly highlight three things that Paul shares early in this letter that act to fertilize the joy in Paul's life and that surely would do the same for us. First, Paul gives thanks in remembering. I thank my God every time I remember you, Paul writes. It's one thing to remember. And as I'm constantly reminded by a mentor friend of mine, memory is important. But the secret of joy is remembering those things for which we give thanks. Paul could have focused on remembering the trials and the hardships. He could have remembered being falsely imprisoned or beaten when he started the church in Philippi. He could have primarily remembered those problem places in people's lives or the unfinished work that keeps the people from a truer participation in life with Christ. But instead... Paul remembered the way that God had been at work in and through the Philippians from the very beginning. Too often, the memory tracks that get played most in our hearts and minds are the ones that highlight the brokenness around us or the brokenness in us. Too often we remember, but what we remember are not the things for which we are grateful, but the things for which we are despairing or ashamed or frustrated or angered by. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying Paul is telling us to look the other way when things in our personal or communal lives are broken and need to be made right. But if the tracks that play most frequently in the playlist of our hearts and minds are full of songs of gratitude, then joy will no doubt flourish in us. Second, Paul prays. 
Paul is constantly praying for the people of Philippi. He makes petition for them. His prayers of supplication, his prayers of request on behalf of these people are for their betterment and for their growth in the life of Jesus. In verse 9, Paul says, and this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you determine what is best. Paul prays that the people would grow in their love and that this love that makes them more like Jesus would give them deeper and better understanding, deeper and better discernment of what really matters. Paul prays for them to live authentically, to live sincerely and blamelessly in the way of Christ for the glory of God. This posture of prayer for others is no doubt a critical fertilizer in the growth of joy in Paul and in us. I wonder how much more often the church would be known for joy if the world around us witnessed us praying for each other as often as it witnessed us squabbling over our differences with each other. If we prayed for one another how Paul prays for the Philippians, perhaps the world would know we are Christians by our joy. Finally, Paul says that he shares, he participates, he fellowships with his Philippian church. Paul has shared in the gospel and shared in God's grace with these Christians, even as God continues to work on all of them. The word for sharing that Paul uses is the word koinonia, and it speaks to an intimate and authentic coming together in the life and work of Jesus. In the people's coming together, in their sharing that happened through being together and offering support for one another, Paul experienced God's grace that activates joy. Paul experienced God's presence in the authentic connection he had with these faithful people. There is no doubt that this sharing in life together, a sharing that involved physical and emotional and spiritual resources, provided nourishment for the joy that abounded in Paul's life. I'm convinced that fellowship of this kind is a crucial part of cultivating joy in our lives. And while we may come up with a long list of reasons we're hesitant to participate in this kind of fellowship, especially with people who are still works in progress, missing out on this intimate connection and missing out on this sharing of life together may very well mean that we just miss out on joy. Advent reminds us that God is not finished yet. And better still, that God will complete what God has started. And in this Advent season of active waiting for God to complete God's work in us and in the world, Paul's witness to us today is that the fruit of joy can be abundant even in times like these. So let me suggest these words from Charles Wesley as our prayer. 
both in this season of Advent, but also the prayer of our hearts all our lives long. Finish then thy new creation. True and spotless let us be. Let us see thy great salvation perfectly restored in thee. Changed from glory into glory till in heaven we take our place, till we cast our crowns before thee, lost in wonder, love, and might I add joy and praise. Amen.